Hi, I'm Nancy Dufresne. Welcome to our podcast channel. We know you'll be blessed by today's message. So God was telling Joshua, how is he going to lead a second generation into the promised land that the first generation never arrived at? Notice this is that what, what did the promised land hold for him? Abundance. What did the wilderness hold for them? Barely enough. For 40 years, they had barely enough. When God delivered the Hebrews out of Egypt, they were to journey through the wilderness, but because of unbelief, they stopped and they camped there for 40 years. Now, did God provide miracles for them there? Yes, he absolutely did, but it wasn't the best miracle. Can God do miracles that aren't best miracles? Sure he can. If you're believing for two million and you only had faith for one million, won't you take the one? (laughs) And be fine of it, yeah. And you just keep feeding your faith. Well, God provided for them. Can I tell you manna from heaven every morning was a miracle? But can I tell you it was a miracle for the disobedient? It wasn't the best. It was not, can I tell you what's not the best is have to go out every morning and gather the same old food. Never diet change, same old food. It rots by the end of the day. That's not God's best. It was a miracle and it was God's mercy to a disobedient people, but it was never his plan to feed them with manna. It was never in his highest plan that they eat manna. His highest plan was that they go into the promised land and they eat of the land that flows with milk and honey, that they have abundance. See, it flows. It flows with milk and honey. Abundance is a flow. Abundance is not a moment. It's not just a season of enough. Abundance is a flow. It's a continual flow of life. And so they only had moments of supply in the wilderness. Why? God helped them all he could. But you can only help disobedience for so long. And you can only help disobedience so far. God did all he could. Why? Because he loved them. But they were still disobedient. And because of that, they were cheated out of the best miracles. Amen. They saw miracles provided. Think of this one miracle. Ladies, I don't know. It's an impressive miracle because it comes from God. But... It's not the highest when their clothes never wore out (laughs) for 40 years. The Bible says their clothes and their shoes never wore out. Well, thank God I've still got my clothes, but who wants to wear the same thing for 40 years? Ladies, abundance is a closet full. Amen. Clothes abundantly. Now, was it not a miracle that they could wear the same clothes and they didn't wear out? That's a miracle, but that's not the best. Amen. So God tells Joshua in one verse, this is how you can lead a nation who would not go in and they failed for 40 years. Falling short of God's plan in one verse, he tells them how to get in. In Joshua chapter one, verse eight, he says, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may observe and do according to all that is written in it. For then you shall make your way prosperous and then you shall deal wisely and have good success. 
So we see this. This is how you go from being a home renter to a homeowner. This is how you go from having a sick body to a whole body. This is how you go from being a failure to a success. It was never God's idea that his people be squatters in the wilderness. His idea was that they own the land. They own the land. They own the land. They own the land. In Egypt, they were slaves on the land. They owned nothing. God's idea is to turn you into owner of everything. Everything your hand touches, you own it. You own it. You own it. Those of you who have purchased homes will recognize this. You had more opposition in purchasing a home than you did in renting one. Why? Because the devil doesn't mind you being on something that you don't own. Because he's still got a hand in it if, if, it does, if it belongs to someone unsaved. But if you want to own something, that means the devil's done working that territory. That region of the earth, he never can dominate again when you own it. That's why he fights you from owning. He can't work his plan on that region of ground anymore. My dad taught us, to, he was a farmer, so he taught us to have a great value on the land. We had a great appreciation for the land. Daddy, Daddy always said, get land. They're not making any more of it. Get land. And if it's ever in your heart to own something, to own some land, I guarantee you God wants you to have it. Why? Because he will turn you from a renter into an owner. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. <clears throat> so God was telling Joshua, how are you going to lead this second generation into the land that he had already given them? So we see it, this book of the law. Now I want you to see something. Uh, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night so that you may observe to do according to all that's written therein. So we see this, that we have to have respect for the word, this book, this book, we have to honor this book. We have to see this book is our answer. This book is our help. So many people try to run around and try to get other people to give them their answer. The answer's in the book. For every part of your life, for every situation of your life, the answer is in the book. And when the answer is found, it would benefit you to do it. Instead of looking for another avenue of success. Amen. And so we see this that I want you to see... Uh, that as we stated previously, that the devil isn't mentioned in this verse, God isn't mentioned in this verse, but the word is mentioned three times in this verse. The individual is mentioned five times in this verse. So what the individual does with the word determines whether or not we have success. It's not God who determines it. Success is not automatic. We have to do the right thing toward the book. If we ignore the book, we're ignored. We honor the book, we're honored. Amen. We value the book, we have value. Yes. Amen. Now, let me ask you this. Is prayer right? Absolutely. Giving is right. Serving in your local church is right. But none of that will take the place of how you treat the book. Yes. We can be good at serving and not be very good at what, we do, what we're doing with the book. Amen. We have to do the right thing toward the book. God gives them in Joshua chapter one, verse eight, God is giving Joshua a prescription for success. We can't rewrite the prescription and think it's going to work. Amen. Hallelujah. God has a part, but man has a part. What was God's part? He gave us the book. 
What's our part? Do what the book says. Feed on the book. Get it in us. Feed on it. Amen. So notice this. The first duty that we have toward the book is this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. Notice that. The success we, de- we experience in life will depend on what we do with the word in our mouth. Ha- Hallelujah. So that means that we speak the word throughout the day. That Dad Hagen taught us this. When circumstances arise in life, ask yourself this question first. What does the word say about this? Train yourself that no matter what you're facing, you immediately ask, what does the word say about this? That's called honoring the book. If we put the book first, we arrive at success. Amen. So we have to put the word in our mouth as a lifestyle, not just not just confessing, absolutely confessing the word. Why? Because Mark 11, Jesus said, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Mark 11, 23, 24, he shall have whatsoever he saith. So Jesus was telling them uh, in Mark 11, when the, the, how the tree dried up when Jesus spoke to it, how did he do it? He put the book in his mouth. He did, he did Joshua chapter one, verse eight. He, he did that and he told them, this is how, this is how faith operates. You put the word in your mouth. So number one, you have to confess the word. Say what the word says about you. And in confessing the word, the wonderful thing of it is you don't even have to think up the words. You just say what God says and you get the answer right. Amen. My husband in in Bible school years ago, when we had a part-time Bible school, he was teaching a class. And uh, in teaching the class, he, uh, I would make up his tests and his exams for him during those days. And he went in to give a final exam one time. And so he, I had the answer key for him, you know, and he passed out the test. And then he passed it out and then he went to the pulpit and he said this. He said, okay, let's look at number one. And I'm going, what are we, what are we doing? Look at number one. At, you know, this isn't an oral exam, you know. <laughs> And so he says, number one, and he starts reading the question. And then he starts saying statements that give the answer. And I'm sitting there scratching my head, you know, like, what is he doing? Then he goes, well, look at number two. And then I'm going, oh my gosh, what is he doing? And he just kind of went down nearly over the whole page and started saying things that gave out the answers. So I'm going, I'm sitting on the front row going like, like cut cut. Don't do that. And so afterwards I said, doll, I said, you basically stood up there and gave them the answers off the answer key to the test. And he said, I said, you understand, we need to know what they know. The test is so we can find out what they know, not find out what you can read to them. And he said, well, I know, honey, but he said, growing up, he said, I had such a hard time in school and de- tests were so difficult for me. And some of these people haven't taken tests in so long and I didn't want them to fail. So I said, so your solution was given the answer. <laughs> I said, the only thing is when the devil shows up in the middle of the night, you're not going to be there with the answer. They're going to have to know the answer. But... God does the same thing with us. He doesn't want us to fail. So he said, this book (laughs) of the law, this book is your answer key. This book is the answer key, right? 
And then in Deuteronomy, he says, uh, I set before you life is over here and death. Blessing and cursing is over here. And then he gives you the answer. Choose, choose life. Ed was quite scriptural that day when he stood up there and read the answers because that's what God has done. He reveals what life and blessing looks like. He reveals what death and cursing looks like. Then he tells us which one to choose. Amen. And then when we run into a financial crisis, we, he, he already told us what to say. My God shall supply all my need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. See, you didn't, you didn't have to think that up. He, you just have to know the answer he gave in the answer book and say that. That's what this means. This book of the law shall not depart out of your, this book of the law, not this book of your, not this book of your thinking, not this book of what, how you were raised, not this book of how your grandmama and your grandpapa operated. This book of what God says, this book, can we put it more personal? This book of what my father said to me, this book shall not depart out of my mouth. Your success begins with you putting what he says in your mouth. Not what you say, what he says. Amen. So this is where your success begins is putting the word in your mouth. Uh, then you remember that Jesus preached a quite controversial sermon. He had all the crowds that were following him, multitudes that followed him. They were healed. They received miracles. They received multiplied food for their lives. They just received everything from him. And he got up and preached one sermon they didn't understand. That sermon was, eat my flesh and drink my blood. If you don't, then he said this, you have no part of me. They didn't understand that. Well, what did he mean? Well, Jesus was the word made flesh. To eat his flesh is to eat the word. How do you eat the word? Well, how do you eat food? With your mouth. You put the word in your mouth. That's how you eat his flesh. Amen. Now notice he said, if you don't eat my flesh, you have no part. Only the part you eat is the part you get to have. If you don't eat Jesus as healer, you don't have Jesus as healer. If you don't eat Jesus as a provider, you don't have Jesus as a provider. The part you eat is the part you have. So to have success, we have to eat the word. We have to call him healer. We have to call him provider. We have to call him our success. We have to call him victory. Amen. Because Jesus said, you have to eat it. So that's what God was telling Joshua, put the word in your mouth. He was telling us even before Jesus came, how to eat the flesh of the word. Amen. Hallelujah. So not just having the word in our mouth when everything is in place in life, but having the word in our mouth when things are in place and when things try to get out of place. Because people know, well, I know I need to keep the word in my mouth. Yeah, then why does it leave when circumstances arise and get hot and heavy? We don't revert back to what we used to do. If we will never arrive at the success Jesus offered by going back and doing what we've always done, handling our marriage the way we've always handled it, talking to our spouse the way we've always talked to them, uh, handling our money the way we've always handled it. Praise the Lord. It's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. Notice when Jesus was in the wilderness, can I tell you one way of putting the word in your mouth? 
Confessing the word is uh, the first way you put it in your mouth. In fact, you didn't get saved until you put the word in your mouth. Right? You had to confess Jesus as your savior. Those of you who have, who are married, when you arrived at the, wherever you got married at, (laughs) wherever, whether it's, you know, at a, at the court, thank you, the courthouse or at the church or wherever, or at the outside somewhere, wherever you got married, you didn't stand in front of the person officiating that and just, but the husband and wife, I mean, the, the, the bride and groom just show up and just stand there in their, their nice clothes and just look at them. We showed up. Just showing up doesn't mean you're married. You have to say something. Just showing up in church doesn't mean you succeed. You have to say something. That's right. That's good. Just showing up to read your Bible doesn't mean you succeed. You have to say something. You cannot read the plan of salvation and get saved. You have to say something. You can't even believe that the person who is your groom or the person who is your bride that's standing there before the judge or before the minister, you can say, I believe that they're the right one for me. Yes, you can believe that. But if you don't say it, you don't get married to the one you believe is right. You understand that? We miss it so much at this very vital step. What are you saying when things get out of place? Amen. And what are you saying when things get are are in place? Because sometimes people just let down on their saying when everything's in place. Amen. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, whether it's a good day or whether it's a dark day, whether it's an easy day or whether it's it's a challenging day. Amen. This book of the law, what we do with it. So Jesus was in the wilderness of temptation and for 40 days and 40 nights, he was tempted all the while. So every time the devil would say something to him, what did he do? He would answer it with the word. When you're to to have the word in your mouth, when the devil shows up, you have to answer it or the word's not in your mouth. One way to have the word in your mouth when symptoms show up, answer it. This book of the law should not depart out of your mouth. Answer it. Always in your mouth. You have something to say. When lack shows up, you have to answer it. That's what Jesus did. He was doing Joshua chapter 1 verse 8. This book of the law stayed in his mouth even in that season of temptation. Anybody ever been through a season of testing, a season of trial? It lasted more than a day. What did Jesus do? Every day he kept the word in his mouth. To answer opposition is one way you keep the word in your mouth. Then another thing that he did is he told the devil to leave. Do you know one way to keep the word in your mouth is say, no, you don't devil get out. No, you don't. Not in my body, not in my marriage. That is the word in your mouth. And then the third thing that we saw him doing that wilderness of temptation was he worshiped. He said, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou worship. He was worshiping God. Do you know that when you're worshiping God, that is the word in your mouth? Amen. Then we know about Abraham. It says that he called those things which be not as though they were. What was Abraham doing? He was calling himself the father of many nations when he was childless. So when you're calling in faith, that is the word in your mouth. Confession is the word in your mouth. Answering the devil is the word in your mouth. Telling the devil to go is the word in your mouth. Worshiping is the word in your mouth. Calling the things of God is the word of God in your mouth. 
Well, how come I, 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 I you know, I, I, sometimes I do that. <laughs> well, over in Matthew verse chapter 11 and verse 12, it said the kingdom of heaven invites violence. And the violent take it by force. They take it by the force of faith. Notice this. You have to have the word in your mouth aggressively. You have to have the word in your mouth on purpose. It does. If, and you have to on purpose think of what to say. Instead of just let things just run their natural course around your life. What's this mean? You have to be violent against things. You have to say the word with boldness and aggressiveness. Amen. A passive word in your mouth gets very little. God honors bold faith. Amen. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. That's your violence phrase. Shall not depart out of your mouth. That means every day it's there. You're aggressive toward the word. You're not just sitting back, just hoping something's going to float by and God's going to fix everything in your life. Amen. Praise the Lord. This is how we arrive at success. Amen. Is what we do with the word in our mouth. Hallelujah. Uh, now think about this. Um, <clears throat> Matthew chapter eight, verse 17. We, we know it is a healing verse and rightly so that himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. But one day the spirit of God said to me, look at the first phrase of that. And it says this, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. He said, notice this, divine order is, it has to be spoken so it can be fulfilled. If it is unspoken, it goes unfulfilled. Now, we can look back at this and know this is divine order. That God doesn't do anything till he says something. That something won't be worked in our life till we say something. This book of the law has to be said so that this book of the law can be worked in our life. Now, look at, if we think back and look at Genesis, and it says that the earth, in chapter one, the earth was without form and void. And it says that the Holy Spirit moved upon the face of the deep. One translation said that the Holy Spirit was hovering. The original hovercraft. <laughs> The Holy Spirit was hovering over what was without form and void. All he was doing was hovering. What was he doing? Waiting. What was, see, he was ready. The Holy Spirit's always ready. He's always ready. What was he waiting for? For God to say something. And when God said, let there be light or light be, when he said that, then the Holy Spirit worked it. He went into action. Do you want, I want you to know the Holy Ghost is in you over your life. Don't leave him hovering. Give him something to perform. Give him, he is a performer. He wants to perform for you. What can he perform? This book of the law in your mouth is what he will perform. And if we don't say it, all he can do is sit and hover. Waiting for words that are God's words in your mouth. He doesn't perform humans' words. He performs God's words in humans' mouths. Amen. I don't know about you, but I want him performing in my life. He is a performer. Amen. So we have to know this is that if we don't say it, he can't perform it. 
The day we say it is the day he's performing it. The day we don't say it is the day he can't perform it. So we determine how active the Holy Spirit is moving in our lives by how we're saying it. No wonder God told Joshua, this book of the law, don't let it depart out of your mouth. What's that mean? Day, it's, a, it's a lifestyle. Day after day after day. Amen. And then let's touch on the second thing real quickly. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Notice this. One way we keep it in our mouth is we keep it in our meditations. To meditate is going to deal with your thought life and your attention. You understand that meditation deals with your thought life and your attention. It's not enough to put the word in your mouth if it's not in your thought life. It won't work. It's got to be in the first place, which is your mouth, and it's got to be in the next place, which is your thought life. You understand that? So, so many people, we, if we're not careful, we can just learn the lingo of faith and say it in our mouth. But it has to go beyond just learning it and saying empty words. We have to have it living on the inside of us. Meditation is to think about something, to mutter it to yourself. Can I show you how to meditate? Let me show you. Just taking one verse. The, uh, my God shall supply. My God. Take, take each word of that and say, my God shall supply. He's not just pastor's God. He's not just uh, the, the, the pioneers of faith. He wasn't just their God. He wasn't just, most, he's my, my God. And you lay in bed and you think in the face of lack, in the face of not enough, you say, he's mine. My God is working for me. My God is doing something. He's not just somebody else's. He, he belongs to me. He's made himself my personal possession. My God, not my job. Not my education, not my IQ, not my opportunities. My God. Then go to the next word. My God shall. Ah, now we remove all doubt. We remove all question. My God shall. And then you preach that a little bit to yourself. And then you go into the next word. My God shall what? Supply. Not withhold. Ah. He's not a withholder. He's a supplier. Amen. And then you preach that a little bit to yourself on that word. My God shall supply, not withhold, not cheat me, not rob something from my life. He doesn't tell me to give something so it can take something. He's supplying for me. My God shall supply. Then you go to the next one. My God shall supply what? Oh, oh not just part. Oh, not just on Sunday. Oh, he shall supply all. See what I'm talking about, about meditation. When you meditate on it, it drives it into your spirit. If you say it out of your head, it doesn't work. The word quoted out of the mind doesn't work, but the word quoted out of the spirit, the heart of man, that's where the life of the thing is. Amen. You don't want to sound like an empty can that just gives off the sound of something, but there's something hollow and missing in the words. Meditation puts the meat in the words you say. Meditation gives the, ah, the, the, the fortitude, the, 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 the holding fast. 
to what you say because it's in me. I can't let go of it. It's in me. I won't let go of it. I won't quit saying it because it's in me. Meditating the word puts the word in you. Hallelujah. We trust you've enjoyed this message. Visit us at DufresneMinistries.org to learn of our upcoming meetings, share your testimony, become a partner, or visit our online store. This program has been made possible by the friends and partners of Dufresne Ministries.